Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 83. Hey, I just want to uh, say, I don't know if any of you tuned in or, or saw my post on social media, but uh, I, I won that award, uh, the David Maine's Best Blog of the Year Award given by Crossroads Communications. They're one of the, if not the major, uh, Canadian Christian media company here in Canada. Did I say Canada twice? Uh, Canada should always be said twice. So uh, I had been shortlisted along with a couple of other uh, bloggers and writers for uh, the overall contributions at jonathanpuddle.com uh, and the award ceremony was was last week on, on Facebook Live and YouTube and they chose me as the overall winner of this award for uh, contributing to digital Christian writing in Canada, which includes the podcast. So very, very honored. Thank you, Crossroads. Thank you all of you who who read and who listen and who share and who encouraged me to keep going. This has been, you know, a labor of love, getting this thing off the ground, leaving my day job, putting all of my energy into, into this. It's been scary, it's been rewarding, and it's really all of you who continue to write into me and uh, encourage me that uh, keep me going. Um, yeah, I, I have some of your, over the years, people who've given me little comments, I have some of them printed out and pinned up on my wall. You can't see them, but I can see them. And when I'm having low days, I, I read them and I'm encouraged and I keep on going. And so this award is uh, feels like a validation and it's it's really due to you guys supporting me. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. My guest today is Kevin Makins. Kevin is the pastor of Eucharist Church in Hamilton, Ontario, which is not far from me at all. I could get there in 40 minutes. Uh, we had a really, really fun conversation. I enjoyed this immensely. Kevin is the author of Why Would Anyone Go to Church? A Young Community's Quest to Reclaim Church for Good. And so we talked about a whole bunch of things kind of around that thing. You know, we're both millennial guys uh, in church leadership who have gone through our own wrestling journeys with church. We talked about uh, when you walk away from God, how God responds to you, building communities that are safe for those who are unsure of where they sit with God, and how Jesus really shatters idols that we make for ourselves of what church and community should be. So uh, I really commend this conversation to you. There is hope. There is joy. If you have felt like evangelism has been beaten over your head and has been made a very heavy burden in your life, you'll find hope and good news in here. And you'll just hear some really cool things about a way that church is being done in one particular uh, urban center here in Canada. So let me get out of the way. And uh, let's listen to Kevin Makins. I'm, I'm fascinated already. You know, you've dropped a couple of these things like that you had a, a Lutheran upbringing and <laughs> then you kind of have come into this creating a church environment for people who are like, let's figure out what works. And you're in Hamilton, which has obviously got like an urban gritty reality. Uh, gritty is like the very polite way to put Hamilton, Ontario. Uh <laughs> It is. That's what we say. We say it's. It's. We got some grit with our glam. But uh, for a lot of the last couple decades, people would use other words to describe it. <laughs> I've been to the James. I've been to the Super Crawl, and I know that there's a lot of great revitalization happening in the fine city. We, of we got cool. <laughs> we got cool. It's. It's. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of beautiful stuff here, and and it is like I live just off James, so this that's kind of our our parish that my wife and I, where we live in, and our church isn't far from there either. So yeah, it is it is a gritty and like kind of funky, weird place. Yeah, yeah. So here here's what fascinates me, uh, and I'd love to just kick <clears throat> kick into this. Um, you know, we're kind of in the same age bracket where a ton of our peers are ditching church. Uh, are ditching faith or ditching God or are just really coming to like, I need to, if I'm going to stick around, I've got to be, it's got to be intellectually honest. It's got to be sincere and, and I've got to own it for me. Uh, mm -hmm. this, this morning I'm reading John Steingard of Hulk Nelson's letter to basically be like, I've got to come clean. I don't think I believe in God anymore. I'm open to believing in God. And, and to be honest, I hope God is out there, but I've got to figure all this out afresh for me and I've got to hit reset. Um, and so whenever I find someone of kind of our age and interest leading churches, I'm, I'm drawn to be like, okay, why, 
Like I'm also in pastoral ministry. So it's, so, so Mm -hmm. I, I don't, you know, it's like, why, like what, what is it? I mean, pastoring a lot of the time sucks, right? Like it's hard. Like it's obviously wonderful and beautiful and has all this stuff thrown in. Uh, so, so why man? Like, yeah, I, I mean, sometimes it's hard when you ask pastors and you're like, why? And they're like, well, I get paid, which is really like a, a weird dynamic. I mean, I, I, I think that that's a, something that, that those of us in pastoral ministry have to acknowledge is like, this is just so woven into our life and into, um, you know, our income and our security and our identity and all this stuff. Um, but I also know that for most of us, the reason we got into this is not is because we loved it so much we would do it whether we 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 got paid or whether we were doing this in other capacities. When we started the church, you know, I, I was on officially on 10 hours a week for the first five years and worked full time at a group home to to make it happen. So there's there's, you know, I think we have to kind of name that up front that we're at this this level where we're super engaged with it. And I, I have respect for anybody who has something to lose by being honest, you know, like somebody fronting a, a band. I don't really know uh, that band that well, particularly like I, I've heard the name, but there's, you know, that when there's a social cost to saying, I don't know if I believe this or I don't believe this, I feel kind of this torn feeling where like on the one hand, I'm like, Oh, I wish that you could because like, life is really good when you believe that there's a God who loves you. Like, Oh my gosh, like what a, and when you think that this isn't going to end in a tire fire, but that history is heading somewhere and there's going to be a, re- a resurrection and a reconciliation of all things. Uh, if I didn't have that, like, I'd go walk into the ocean right now. Like, I don't, so like, you know, sure. I, I wish people could have that, but I at the same time have this feeling of, I respect that someone's being honest enough to say as much as this might trouble and upset people as much as this might, uh, you know, interrupt how people perceive me or even how I perceive myself. I'm willing to take that risk because I have to be honest and honesty is a value and I have to be courageous and that's a value. And those are, those are kingdom values. You know, those are the kind of values that um, you see among the resistors of great evil through time is that willingness. So, you know, I, I feel this kind of torn feeling of, I would love for someone to be able to believe this um, because it is good news. I really believe it is good news and, and I put my trust in it, but I also am, am not too harsh to anyone who feels like they have to step away from it for a season or, um, or indefinitely, as much as I, I hope they can come back to it, I also trust that that person, if, if there is a God, which I do believe, and if that God is Christ-shaped, which I, I do put my trust in, then I have to believe that God is okay with following the, the sheep as they kind of walk away from the 99, and uh, that that does nothing to affect how the shepherd sees them, you know? Um, so I, I, I feel like um, there's something that I respect about that, while also really hoping that they can continue to walk and continue to push through and, and come out the other side of this revitalized, transformed and restored so that they can then help shape the future of the Jesus movement with an intellectual honesty. Like I love that phrase. My, my friend Brad Watson in Kitchener always talks about intellectually honest faith. And I just think that's a, a good descriptor of what we're trying to aim at. Um, and to do that means that sometimes you're not going to be comfortable. And I wish the church wasn't seen as a place where the people who believe the things go but that the church was a place where you say, hey, even if you don't know if you believe in God right now, if you wish you could believe in God, if you wish the good news was true, if you want to want to believe, this is your home. Mm. Like, you know, like this is, this is for you, baby. Like, come on in. Um, do the things Jesus taught us about. You know, if, if you think it's good to care for refugees, the foreigner, if you think it's good to um, surround people with love and care, if you think it's good to pay each other's bills when we can't do it. Um, if you think it's good to put your trust in things that are beyond you, whether you, you believe in God right now or not, but you believe that there is, you know, a higher powers beyond you, whatever it be, let's start there. And, yes. and this can be a place where you practice the way of Jesus as much as you can, even if in this time you don't know which box you check. Because my suspicion is when we put ourselves into those places that we engage in the kind of Jesus-y stuff, it is way easier to reconcile the intellectual side faith with those practices. But once you say, I don't know if I believe and the church says, well, if you don't know if you believe you're really a second class citizen here, um, then you're going to go watch Netflix for a while and you're going to go, you know, um, pursue, you know, you're going to, you're going to go somewhere else to find belonging, to find meaning and to find practices. And a lot of those other places are wonderful, but, but a, they're not going to reintroduce you to the Christ way, which is always other focused, countercultural, upside down. 
and you have something to teach the church even in your exile. Like mm. you have something to offer. Don't get arrogant. You don't have like all the answers just because you're like having your doubts or whatever. Like don't, you don't have more to offer than anyone else, but you have as much to bring to the table as anybody else. So, mm. so don't walk away. Lean in harder in that time, provided you're in the kind of community where you can do that in an honest, forthright kind of way. Yes, yes, categorically. I love everything that you're saying. <laughs> there's, there's like... Um... I don't, I'm struggling to get my my head around the right words here, but there is, um, we all talk about church as community. We all want it. It's all like, oh, this great ideal. And we want to foster greater community in our community. church and love so it. on and so forth. Right. But, but there's like a, a really fundamental difference between essentially what you're describing as a group of people, however close or diffuse that are willing to, converse and grow and move and care for one another mm-hmm. and kind of like a program where we turn up and we hear a message and, and maybe we get equipped with good things and then we go out and, and we live and it's kind of fundamentally individual, but that we come together to be taught. And yeah, I feel like yeah. a lot, like the second category is the vast majority of our churches. And, and I'm in, admittedly, I'm in one of those churches and we are sure. within that group. There are micro collections of the former. Totally. There's, there's organic stuff. There's light structural stuff. You can't get away from community, even if you're all just showing up as individuals. Um, and communities can't get away with, rec- with reckoning with what the driving image is of their communal life. Because you can be a community for all sorts of horrible stuff. Right. You know, sure. we're all, we're a community. You know, white supremacists probably have great potlucks, you know, and they're, <laughs> And they're morally corrupt and bankrupt. Mm. Um, so I, I really think there's something we're, we're learning. And boy, what a fascinating time to be learning it. Because right now you're really seeing which way your church goes. You know, It's either online and individuals consume it, um, but, they, but there's a gospel element to it and they, they go out and try to live like Jesus. Or it's community heavy and you're trying to do your Zoom calls, but the program, the show is really quite bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really don't think either side is right or wrong. These are two parts of a whole. But learning to, to, to try to integrate those two together without dismissing whichever space your, your congregation, your church life looks like, I think is, is the great challenge of this next season. How do you bring together these two parts of church's life, which are really one and, and the same, love God, love others? Um, you know, the, the responsibility of each individual part of the body in relation to the whole body um, those, those two things coming together is going to be core to the next season of church and to creating a church that is not constantly flip-flopping between these visions, but is really, mm. you know, um, or, or not pitting congregations against each other, but is learning to see the beautiful elements that each of us bring and that each community brings to the wider body of Christ. Um, and there is, there is something to what you're kind of articulating there about these two different sides or expressions of church. So you, I haven't, I, I read your bio and, and I've just watched a couple of your videos and you could talk about kind of like stumbling into this parish situation that, that you're dealing with now. It did not sound like a strategic church plant in a city that needed someone like you. No, man, I'm way too uh, impulsive to do that. <laughs> and that's great. Like, dude, if you, if you want to go to the assessment centers and get the grants, like knock yourselves out. But um I mean, for me, I, w- I was raised in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, which was a very big clarification point. We were the good ones, which is hilarious because the other Lutherans were definitely like, you know, we're the other Lutherans, we're the, we're the good ones. There's those other <laughs> Missouri Synod ones. So funny that we're all conveniently the good ones. Uh, <laughs> totally. Which is now where I'm like, I don't even know if our church is right. We're just trying to be faithful. I don't know if we're mm. correct. <laughs> I, have mm. no, I have no idea on, on how we are right or wrong, but I think we're loved. Mm. Um, so, so I was, yeah, I was raised public school, didn't know another Christian until I was 17. Like there was a, we were in a little church, 80, 90 people on a Sunday. Uh, you know, my cousins, I was a pastor's nephew, not quite a pastor's kid. I think if you're a pastor's kid, you're in big trouble. Pastor's nephew, there's a chance you'll come out the other side. Okay. <laughs> but just, just a chance. And, uh, you know, I thought it was just me and my sister and my cousins. And, and by high school, that was really all, all that was left of the teenagers in our church. Everyone else had gone off to hockey and, gone off to the other religions of the world, mostly sport religions. And there was just this sense of like, oh, I guess this Christian thing is done. Like, you know, and, and everyone always said, you should be a pastor. Like, oh, you're inquisitive. And, and they got me like with this, my Sunday school teachers always said that. And, uh, 
I just had this feeling of like, why would I be a pastor? Like, don't you see this thing's in decline that the no one I know goes to church? Everyone thinks it's irrelevant. Who volunteers to work on the Titanic? Mm-hmm. Like, there's things going under. Why would I do that? So I, I had this big faith awakening in grade 12. I talk about this in the book, if anyone's interested in my, you know, in, in cute girls drawing me into church, which is, I think, how a lot of dudes get into church. Flirt to convert, um, bro. It was flirt to convert. And, and we didn't even get to kiss. It's a real bummer. Like, it was just, it was straight, like, clever flirting. We didn't even, I didn't even get to hold her hand, but it worked. Um, <laughs> and so... I went to this youth group and had this faith awakening. And in that faith awakening came this prayer of like, I trust you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you, give my life to you, but I am not becoming a pastor because pastoring, you know, in my life looked like when I had seen it, it looked so much like sitting in an office all day, listening to middle-class people talk about their problems, Mm. which is not a bad thing. Like, you know, middle-class people have problems and some people are like shepherds, high shepherds, high pastor. And, and they love that. But I was like, oh, gosh, that sounds boring. Um, so I went to school to be a gym teacher. And I, had an, I was doing an English minor. And then I was like, wow, there's a lot of muscles in the body you've got to memorize. I'm, I think I'm done with this. <laughs> and uh, ended up dropping out after a year and a half and working a string of bad jobs. Like I ended up working all these terrible jobs that I thought I was going to excel in and I didn't. And six months later, I had been fired from the night shift at Tim Hortons, uh, which is, which is, I know, I know it's when I tell people in my congregation this, they're like, oh, I'm going to find another church. <laughs> like, <this> is, <laughs> and, and you're teaching most weeks. This is weird. Um, but it was just this humbling moment of like, oh, I am not as capable as I think I am. I am, I am not an expert. I am not. Um, all that bright and had this moment laying on my bed. I was like 19. Like God really pushed me into this pretty quick. I was 19 or 20 as I was going through this. It was a, it was a really intense year. And at the end of it, just said, all right, um, my plan's not working out well. Clearly I don't, I'm not very competent. So let's strike a deal, God. Um, if you want me to be a pastor, I'll show up. Like wherever you want me to go, I'll show up. And this is not just for me. Like I've talked about this with lots of my friends who are following Jesus in, in business, in um, parenting, in parish work, you know, but this is, a, I think, a posture that, that we all end up falling into when we realize how incompetent we are left to our own devices. And I said, I'll show up, but you have to do everything else. So, so like, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. But you've got to take care of everything. Very Lutheran, very grace heavy. Like, I, you've got to do it. And that was kind of the bargain that we struck. And, and that, that led me to get a job at a group home and, and start doing some work that was maybe a little more relational and led me to uh, go back into my undergrad and do my master's and um, do an internship at a church in Toronto. And, and during that time, I learned about church planting. And that was like the first time that I thought, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> like pastoring for some people, it's compelling. For me, it was never the, the goal, shepherd pastoring, caring, meeting with people, you know, going into a community that's been established. Beautiful thing. Never my heart. Um, when I heard that you could church plant, which is you get a bunch of people together in a place and you move to the place and you spend a bunch of time there and you become a character in your neighborhood and you get to know people and you just see what God does. And over years, you might get 10, 20, 30 people who want to formalize in some way what is organically already happening. And you pray and you break bread and you try to take care of other people in your neighborhood and you meet somewhere and you raise your kids and you send them to public school and you get involved in the school board, like all that stuff that you're just like missionaries living there. um, But like good missionaries, not like agenda driven, um, not colonialist missionaries, but like God is already here. The church has already been here and we are being invited to come in and pay attention and to see what organically grows. Not like a top-down church plant. We're dropping in a big tree into this garden, but like there's some seeds already here. We're just going to cultivate the soil. We're going to see what grows up and it's going to look and smell and taste like this place. That to me was the first time I had heard about church life in a way that really grabbed me, not just discipleship, not just being an individual Christian, but the, the life of a church being something that was so compelling 
you had to do it. You had to give yourself over to it. Even with your doubts, like back to our conversation, even with your doubts, even with your questions, even if you don't know what you think today, we are in this together and God is doing something here bigger than us. And we're like holding on for the ride. Mm. Um, that was super compelling. So, so over years, you know, we moved downtown Hamilton when it wasn't hip, when it was kind of just scary, but also like resilient. And, and there was um, in the book, I talk about, um, working at, at this neighborhood park that was the third poorest neighborhood in Canada when I was 16 and seeing the people there that were, you know, facing huge economic disparity. There was violence, there was um, corruption, you know, there was, there was civic irresponsibility. And these people were like throwing skate jams and barbecues and like they were living life in this kind of resilient, flourishing way in the midst of, of the shadow of the empire and just thinking like, oh man, God's already here. I want to come along and see what this looks like. And so, yeah, we moved down here and spent two, three years just getting to know people. And then suddenly there was 20 people saying, yeah, well, we should start that church thing that we've been just chatting about for years. Um, and a number of them were new to the city. A number of them were uh, church kind of uh, had walked away, like you had talked about earlier, walked away for um, five years, you know, three years, 10 years. And we're saying, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's start gathering. And that's how it grew, you know. Um, I can go into more of the, the stories of, of how that happened and mistakes we made and also things that, um, good advice that we didn't listen to. Um, but there was never the feeling of let's strategize and, and make this thing hum and make this like a great church. It was like, well, what do we have? Well, we got 20 people with, you know, about 10,000 bucks between us a year and uh, one speaker and one projector and a little living room or fashion studio that we've rented and we live in these neighborhoods and we're willing to show up and let God do whatever he's going to do. All right, let's go. You know, that was, that yes. was the master plan. Mm. There was, there was no, there was no, um, there was no five-year vision. It was like, well, in five years, let's, let's finally name our values because we'll know what they are in five years. But mm -hmm. for now, let's just, let's just try. And we're not afraid to fail. If we fail, God's got it. If we, if we're five people, 10 people forever, that's fine. You know, um, as long as we're being faithful, like faithfulness is the marker of our success, not, not any other metric. If we do what we're told to do and we, and it kills us faithfully done, you know, and, uh, that also just made it a lot of fun to yes. anyone trying to church plant or build, or, or even if it's not church plant, if it's trying to revitalize, um, neighborhoods or, re, or have a, a community within a larger congregation, man, when you let the pressure off of what this has to look like. And you open your hands up and say, let's just have fun with it. Suddenly it's a blast. <laughs> like hard times, betrayal, heartbreak, all the crap that churches always have. But like joy and freedom and laughter and like just the best thing we ever did. The best thing. Mm, I love it. Oh, man. I love it so much. <laughs> Can you... Um... I'm making it sound really idealistic. And of course, most days it's just like, oh crap, we, we didn't get juice this week. We need to, someone's got to run out and get juice for communion. You know, it's still a normal <laughs> church. It's actually so hyper normal that it's beautiful. So, so that was going to be sort of my next question. Uh, I, I would love, I'd love for you to maybe paint a picture of, of what church life looks like for a handful of different folks kind of in your, in your parish throughout the week. Well, you know, mm. give, us, give us a little bit of a picture. Well, right now, everyone's sad because we're not allowed to leave our houses. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, there's the last, it, it's a funny time to be talking about church. It's a really good time because you can see things more clearly once you get a little bit of distance. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I can, I can talk about kind of COVID realities if you want to go there, but I can also talk about what has been, um, which we're finding a helpful exercise in this time to remember what we love about church so that we don't think that this time is going to last forever, or we don't think that this time um, that what we're doing right now, kind of online gatherings and, and simple organic stuff is great, but really like trying to remember what parish life looks like when, when things are kind of moving more normal. Do you have a direction you'd like? Yeah, to, let's, uh, let's, to let's about? go in the, let's go in the quote unquote more normal parish direction. Cause I, let's I'm, pretend I'm interested that the world is not on fire. <laughs> your, you know, what's bubbling up. As you yeah, I mean, look that's, back that's with longing. Great. Oh, look back with longing. I mean, and a lot of this is still present day reality for mo for many folks. Um, when we started, it was it was a lot of people who were moving into neighborhoods and trying to be attentive. Um, so you know, I think about um, a woman in our church who moved into um, a neighborhood 
near um, near 541 Eatery and Exchange, which is this beautiful ministry in Hamilton. It's a coffee shop where anyone can eat uh, for free. Um, they've got this button system. If you're listening to this and you have like a million bucks, please just throw it to them. Um, and they they kind of moved into that neighborhood right when this thing was starting, this ministry, and have always um, just wanted to know their neighbors. Like, so they, they go to church on Sunday. They host uh, a neighborhood group from our church and some people from other churches in their homes. They are trying to be attentive and they're trying to see what God is already up to so that they don't come in saying, here's, we got the, we're the Christians, we're here with a mission and we're here to save you and we're here to, to help you. Because what they found is people in their neighborhood don't want their help. Um, this is a really historically impoverished neighborhood where people are, their defenses are up. So, um, you know, they've been just paying attention to this, living in community. A lot of people in our church live with housemates, um, even if they're married or have children. So, you know, they were, when they moved in, they were living with a couple up in the loft and somebody in the basement and then her and her uh, husband and their kid in the main floor of the house. And it was this kind of tight space and they were just trying to know their neighbors and they, uh, as they were trying to think how to bless their neighbors, they, this is a great story actually I love. Um, they thought, oh, well, I know what we'll do. We'll do a party in the park because everyone loves a party in the park. And they got this um, kind of really high-end donut shop downtown to donate uh, free donuts, like 36 donuts or like 50 donuts or something. And they thought, we'll do free donuts, we'll do a party, and we'll invite neighbors to come and just we'll meet them. And they had no one show up. The park is full. There are kids everywhere. The place is packed. They've got a big booth with like free donuts. They've lived in the neighborhood for like a year, two years. They know people and no one will come up. So now they're walking around saying like, do you want donuts? Do you want donuts? And they can't give away these $6 donuts. Like no matter how hard they try, they can't. And they're like, what is going on? And they talk to one of their neighbors about it. And she says, the thing is that no one in this neighborhood is used to getting anything good for free. Mm. so they're they're watching you come over and they just all they can think is what's your agenda which then drove her to ask two questions one how do i love my neighbors well without an agenda and two do i have an agenda and the truth is like i'm not i'm not a big like none of us have an agenda i think we all have an agenda in every relationship the question is whether the agenda is selfish and about us and about people becoming like us or if the agenda is the flourishing of everyone so that god's kingdom can break in um, whether or not you ever check my religious box or go to my church um, is my agenda, though, for for the creator's blessing to be flourishing here, um, whether you you subscribe to the world as I see it. So then they go back into their neighborhood group and start asking each other, do we have an agenda? And what is our agenda? And is it good news agenda or is it our projection of of our insecurities on our neighbors of wanting them to be like us? And then they realize, you know, um, okay, we actually now, we, we do have a, maybe not a pure agenda entirely, but as much as we can see it, we do want their flourishing. And then the question is, how do we communicate that in a way that actually causes flourishing in this neighborhood? So they talk to their neighbors and start saying, what would you want? What would you like? How can we be involved? We don't even know, you know, but God has told their neighbors, whether their neighbors believe in God, the spirit is at work in their neighbor's life with desires that they have. And the neighbors started saying, well, you know, we used to have these neighborhood garage sales and then those kind of died out and we missed those. So they start organizing a garage sale and they, they go, maybe nobody wants anything for free, but would they buy it for 25 cents? Mm -hmm. And they've got donuts there, but they're, they're garage sale donuts. So they're, they're not free. They're, they're helping pull you into the garage sale and they're not the delicious hipster donuts, which are really so good. But they're like, they're uh, this local granddad's donuts. Like they're like a buck doll. Like they're, they're like a step above Tim Horton's donuts. They're like Tim Horton's donuts done really well. If your audience is, is Canadian <laughs> enough to know Tim Horton's donuts. <clears throat> granddad's donuts, man, they're the best. And so they suddenly are packed. Neighbors are coming by. They're buying donuts. They're buying items. They're saying, ooh, what a good deal. Mm -hmm. And they're talking and they're meeting each other. And they're saying, ooh, can we do this again? And can we do a garage sale on the same day? And that is just like one example of someone in our church in their neighborhood. Um, are they like the patron saints of that neighborhood? Like, I don't know. They're just, they're just ordinary people trying to love Jesus and trying to love other people. But they, for me, have really, um, that kind of, that story has exemplified what so many people are doing. Some people do it um, more alone in their neighborhood because they're not, you know, surrounded by other people from our church. Some people are learning to do it with people from other churches, other churches they might never hang out with. But they're saying, hey, can we do something for our neighbor, um, for our neighbors? Can we be attentive together? 
Um, but that kind of stuff is happening all over in ways big and small. And to me, that is the church just as much as Sunday when we break bread and we hear a sermon and we sing songs and we have mediocre coffee right out of the carafe. Um, you know, that is just as much an expression of church as any of that stuff. Um, one can't swallow the other. We can't say one matters and the other doesn't. These are all parts of what it means to be the church. Mm. Yes. Amen. So that was like a really long story. Uh, <laughs> a long but, stories but are I, best I, stories. Sometimes long stories. I mean, they're either the best stories or they're the worst stories. But hopefully that was was not the not the worst story. No, it's fantastic. That temptation, that temptation of agenda is huge. Totally. I'm 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 you just thinking through my own church environment and you know we we are kind of planted in a movement in a denomination and so our yeah there's there's absolutely an agenda up front and it's essentially we're not sure if there's any churches in this city with our particular DNA and so let's make sure that uh, mm. that this aspect of God's character gets expressed within mm-hmm. this geographic region. And and I think probably the majority of the churches in my movement are planted that same kind of concept. It's like, okay, so we've got this blueprint, let's go and manifest it over here and then um, see what happens. And so inevitably, uh, all the people mm-hmm. that used to commute from that community to uh, a similar church that was larger and flashier in another city now don't have to commute. And so, you know, we have this built-in body of 50 to 60 believers that you can get going with and it's great. And suddenly you have an average sized church, whether you really earned it or not. And uh, some people listening probably may think I'm really cynical or critical of my movement and I'm not at all. I'm just a systems no, thinker. And we, so I see the way these what we things work. <laughs> But I'm looking at I'm looking at Catch the Fire in particular, and I'm looking at let's say ten or twenty churches that have followed the same path, and that are now all five or six years in, and there's been there's been net zero growth, and every one of those pastors, and 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 growth obviously is not the only thing that we care about, but but that's to say that every one of those pastors is going, huh, I'm not sure that this is working or I'm not sure that I'm satisfied with what I've been equipped to do here because what, while, uh, while we do have this very specific kind of set of values and there is this agenda driven, it it comes from that heart of love of the reality is, is our, our values are like the, the God can be known as a loving father. Jesus can Mm -hmm. be experienced right now today. And and will transform your life for the better. Like, like we were discussing earlier, like, like mm-hmm. I want you to live this life. If the only God, you know, is, is a tyrant who takes pleasure in torturing babies, then please get rid of that. God, go for it. Uh, right. It's but, not going to make you more loving to look to adore that God for a while. <laughs> no, 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 no. So ask those hard questions and, and purify your vision or, or let, let, God purify your vision, whether you believe in him or not. Uh, so, so I really, really believe in the genuineness of, of the hearts of the leaders in this movement that I'm a part of, but I watched totally. every one of them run into this quandary four to five, six years in going like, huh. And, and, and what I'm seeing is more of them looking kind of around them at their neighborhoods in much the way you're describing and going, I feel like we rocked up with our gifts, our free premium donuts. And there's another step to what you just said of, of like, what do you guys actually need here? What, what are you, where are you actually hurting? Um, I mean, even as an author, you know, in my first manuscript, the publishers kept coming back to me and saying, Jonathan, what you've got is a great gift, a great message, but it's not clear what problem you're solving. Right. The felt need. What is the felt? I mean, which is the, the kind of uh, publishing crass way of saying it. Although, yeah, like when my agent was like, this is great, but it's, where's the felt need? It was like, oh, crap. But it's a good question to ask, you know, if, if said in, in genuine love. It's, you know, how, where's the pain, right? Where's the pain and where's the joy in the, in the person sitting across from me? 
um, in my neighbor who I, I have little small talk interactions. Where's your, where do you hurt? Not so I can come and heal you, but so that I can be with you, right? Like that's, that's, and maybe that does heal you, right? Like mm. um, that, that's a beautiful thing. Maybe it heals you supernaturally. Maybe it heals you psychologically or emotionally, or maybe you just don't suffer alone. And in the life of Christ, we see both healing and co-suffering. Mm. And, and unless we can do that, yeah, we're, we're going to miss that felt need around us. And people are going to say, well, it's an awfully nice club you have there on Sunday. And I'm really glad that you all enjoy singing to your sky God once a week. <laughs> but it doesn't mean anything for the rest of us. Unless we already love the sky God, it just comes off as a weird thing you do. I mean, the, the main response I feel from people I talk to about faith isn't even anger. Like maybe in America, it's more like you took over our political system with your particular brand of religion. And, and there's other things to work out there. But in secular cultures, you know, my friends in the UK, my friends in Australia, my, my friends in, in uh, the Netherlands, and, and then here in Canada, it's not anger, it's apathy. What in the world does this even matter? <laughs> like, totally. Totally. What, what does it matter? And if we say, oh, it really matters, come to church. It's not going to, it has to start with, yeah, where's your pain? Where's your joy? And how do we, how do we sit with you as the presence of Christ um, and be with you and, and see what the presence of Christ has already been stirring up in your own life, which will always be around your great joys and your great sufferings. We'll take a quick pause to thank my Patreon supporters. Uh, my latest supporter is Carrie. Thank you so much, Carrie. She joined up last week. Uh, folks, if you have been enjoying this podcast, I want you to know that it is provided to you by uh, 51 to 54 people uh, currently uh, who are supporting me on Patreon.com and some of them uh, through direct money transfer, who sow into this work, who support my ministry, who uh, get various benefits and access to me by being a supporter on Patreon.com. You can join them as well for as little as $3 a month, Patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. And uh, you'll get your name in my book. Uh, it's coming out very soon. I just collated everyone's names the other week, put them all in there. Uh, excited to be able to thank everybody in print for their ongoing support. Much love to you guys. I mean, on the on the church front, it, it's, it's interesting to hear you describe that. One of the most beautiful things about movements like Catch the Fire is they know what they are and they know what they aren't. And the amount of churches that you're like, so what are you? And they're like, we are Bible believing. You're like, yeah, everybody is. <laughs> and they're like, we really believe that God is love. Yeah. Okay. Big deal. Like, you know, like it's, that's, that's, and you're like, well, what are you not? And they're like, we're not, uh, we're not mean. You're like, okay, well like, yeah, no, you've got to be able to say what are you and what aren't you. So you know, which part of the body of Christ you are and you know what you aren't. Um, you know, to, to quote Kanye West, <laughs> uh, every, you know, in his song of, of graduation, everything I'm not made me everything I am. Mm. You know, all the things your church is, all, your community is terrible at tells you who you are. Um, all the things that you can't be tells you who you are. Um, and so the idea of starting a community with 40 or 50 people who have a sense of what this is and what this isn't and have, um, you know, you have to have internal metrics or, or value systems on what matters most. So to say geography matters more than excellence is a beautiful thing to say, we could start a little church here, 40, 50 people. It won't be as good as the big catch the fire that everyone can drive into, but local Trump's excellence hmm. or, or um, performance. That's a, you know, if only our churches could know that metric. When we planted, we went to a network of churches in Hamilton called true city, which is uh, at the time was five years old. Or was it 10 years? Is it 10 years old? I think it was 10 years old at the time. Now it's 15 years old. Oh no, we've been around 10 years. <laughs> I thought we'd been around five years. We've been around 10. It was five years old. Now it's 15 years old. And I am also now an old man. I'm realizing in this moment. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like what, 27? Nah. So <laughs> the gift that but, my but wife gave them me said, for my birthday yesterday was the identification of a number of gray hairs on the side of my head. Thanks, honey. Oh gosh. I keep it short now because otherwise I'm, I made it to 30 before I grade, so I'm happy with that. But it was go we went to them and said, here's who we think we are. Here's who we think we aren't. Does Hamilton need this? And how do we do this without taking anyone from your churches just because we're the new thing? Because if people leave your churches to come to our church, that only means they're going to leave our church in four years when we get boring and something yes. new and sexy pops up. So, sure. so what's the point? Why would we even play the game? 
Um, and so we, you know, and then what we found is some churches would say, actually, we have two people in our church who, when you describe the vision of what this thing is, well, like I said, we didn't have a vision. We had like broad directions. They said this person would fit there or this person in our church can't fully express themselves um, just because of different metrics of, of who's in our community or our theology or what. And, and in your community, they could they could check none of themselves at the door. Um, and so they should go there. But we also have sent people to other churches all the time. We do a members class. Uh, well, we call it partnership because, you know, millennials hate membership. So we call it partnership. Um, but, we, you know, we'll tell you what it's about. And, and at the end of it, we always say, and if at the end of this, you decide that this actually isn't the church for you, we want to help you find a church. The only metric, metric of success is that you find a church you can belong to mm-hmm. um, that is, you know, that is in your parish, in your place. And so, you know, I think the sooner we can say we're all one church. Um, see, Catch the Fire and, and Eucharist, um, we, we are one church. We're, we're siblings at the table. And that might mean that at points we wrestle, we fight. Um, I mean, I don't know that many Catch the Fire people, but I'm sure there are all sorts of ways we'd line up and all sorts of ways we would just, you know, want to strangle each other. But that sounds like everyone in my family, right? That sounds like, <laughs> sounds like a good family. And so the sooner totally. we can do that, we can say, you, you guys can say, you know, we want to start a church of 40, 50 people that are going to leave this other church. We're, we're asking you to bless them, to, to send them off, to, to live out this higher value statement. But then what starts a community is never what it becomes. It's never what sustains it. It's just what starts it. You know, you throw seed in the garden and you see things sprout up and that's beautiful, but eventually you might have to get a trellis um, or eventually you might, I mean, not to overstretch garden. I'm looking at my garden right now as we talk. So I'm, my metaphors are very specific and pointed right now. <laughs> you cut the grass. Um, but like what, what it starts with, it never, churches rarely become different. Or, no, churches rarely rebel against what they started with. They rarely mm. go the opposite of what they started with, but they certainly evolve and grow. And there comes a point where you say, okay, 40, 50 of us, we did it. Look at us. We're a healthy expression of the body of Christ. So now what does it look like to, to extend the table? You know, who could we extend it to? And maybe your neighbors will come to church. In my experience, none, very, very few of them ever will. Very few of the people that we bless will ever become Christians. And like, if you can't make peace with that, get out of secular Canada, you know, because you're just going to be steamrolling people and leaving a, a trail behind the bus. If you can learn, though, to say the disciples of Christ fed 5,000 people because they loved the 5,000. They didn't need them all to become disciples. They loved the crowd. They loved their neighbors. Um, some of those neighbors will be recruited into this movement. They'll be, and they'll be recruited because they've seen that this isn't about a club. This is about a mission. This is about a movement. Um, and so, you know, how do we bless our neighbors that we open the door for recruitment into the kingdom way? But also to say, if we bless you and you never get saved, in air quotes, I mean, maybe your theology doesn't allow that. But for me, I don't see Jesus particularly stressed about uh, the crowds. You know, they can come, they can go. Uh, He has a sense that his work is about the reconciliation that is far bigger than just his disciples. But the disciples get the front row seat. You know, they get to... They get to die and see resurrection. They get to know that the feeding of the 5,000 was a miracle. Everybody else might have just thought he had a lot of food. So, Mm. you know, I want to win my neighbors into this movement because they will love it and they'll never feel more alive than being a part of it. Um, But if they say, yeah, I'm just not very religious. My my hope then is to see God's kingdom come in this neighborhood so much that they are blessed, even if they're never recruited. Yes. But that might make me a heretic to somebody and and that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I love that. I have so, so, so many thoughts bouncing around in, in response to that. It's, it's so good. I mean, you, you, on community and agenda, I was just reminded of this Bonhoeffer quote from Life Together, where he says, "Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that community, even though their personal intentions oh. may be honest, earnest, and sacrificial." Like, yes, off, man. Isn't that, isn't that a like, you know what, Bonhoeffer, why don't you go back to your ghost? Like, why doesn't your ghost go back to your grave? Right? Like, it's like, it's like, who asked, who invited you to come and haunt our nice little idealism? Totally. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's why um, we were talking about community earlier and, and the idea of being in a church, even if you don't believe. This is, this is why, though, churches must be Christian. Um, even if every individual in a church doesn't know where they land, I, again, want everyone to be able to believe this. I want them to confess the creed and mean it, like beautiful. 
but individuals can you're, you're gonna you're gonna believe all sorts of things you're gonna change you're gonna evolve you're gonna grow you're gonna doubt then you're gonna believe again the church can be like almost like a safety container to let you to hold you while you go through all this stuff like how great is the found the foundation that christ has given us to hold room for all this uncertainty but the community must always be going to christ's table like it can't be that the community is the goal <laughs> you know the church can't be the goal for the church it has to be the mission of Christ and his work in the world and him calling us to attention or else we will make an idol out of the very good gift of church. And we will make it all about, um, you know, Mark Sayers has that great line that we want the kingdom without the king. We'll make it all about God's kingdom, justice, mission, all that. But, but Jesus, you know, maybe Jesus, maybe and church community. Yes. And, and love and forgiveness and Jesus, maybe, but if we don't have Jesus constantly shattering the idol of the church, the church will lose her vitality and she'll become just another social club for in people who are lucky enough to have their friends here. Um, and so I, I think there's this beautiful movement of Jesus saying, come to, the, come to my community, enter my body exactly as you are, and, and you can be here exactly as you are. But I will always call the corporate church to response to the table, um, to me. And, and that, will, that will be what allows the community to keep its shape and form and not get lost in the modern world while also making space for individuals to be who they are, where they are, um, coming towards the center, which is the table. Mm. I feel like, that's a, like that's, that's a huge paradigm shift for a lot of people. My, because you know, my whole framework, mm. let's say, was evangelize to win souls to bring them into the church like that's it like that's the whole setup right 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 and that and that's what's i mean there are there are definitely church expressions that have been doing this for a long time um but they've not been the predominant expressions because it's so much less effective than scaring people like scaring people just works so well it does like, hey hey do you want to go to a place where the streets are Right. In the short term. Exactly. Do you want to go to a place where the streets are made of gold or do you want to be on fire forever? Like, right. listen, man, I can be a consumeristic monster and know the answer to that question. Um, but does it transform the soul? Nah. And does it comfort you when you sleep at night? No. And if, and you're either going to drop out of it, which is the younger brothers in the, in the parable of two brothers, you're going to drop out of it. If you're a younger brother temperament, because you're like, you know, F this whole system and, and you kind of flip the bird and walk off. Or you're going to be an older brother who sticks around and says, I stay in church because I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And you will lose your soul as you grit your teeth and become less and less human, less and less Christ-like, because you're just, you're going to stick it out and you're going to end up saying, look at all I've done for God. So I get to go to heaven when I die and you'll never taste the freedom of living in the spirit. Uh, or the freedom of being the, the child, the beloved. And so, you know, I don't think it's particularly better or worse to be an older brother or younger brother. We all have our temperaments. And anyone who's like, what, what are you talking about, older brother? Read Henry Nouwen's, uh, read Henry Nouwen's The Prodigal, uh, prodigal Return Son. Return of the Prodigal Son. And uh, Return of the Prodigal Son, and, and just let it ruin your life, and you'll yell at him <laughs> along with Bonhoeffer. But, um, you know, that's, that's, that's the thing. Like, that, that's the beauty... I even forgot how exactly how we got here. Oh, the, the, what wins you too. Right. Um, the fear thing. That's what, that's what fear does. The long fruit of that. Um, and I hope that, and I believe that there's a, a fruit that comes out of what we're talking about, which is, which is more of um, joining God in his mission and, and being able to bless your neighbors without being, uh, without being afraid, you know, without being afraid of God, but knowing you're participating with a good father uh, who's got a good plan. Yes. And, who is only orchestrating what is truly um, vital for the flourishing of what he loves and who he loves. Mm. I love, yeah, I love the way you pointed that out just before about Jesus and, and that crowd, right? Cause it's like the, what we keep seeing in scripture and Jesus had compassion on them and Jesus had compassion yeah. on them. And it's not like, and Jesus saw 5,000 ready souls. It's, it's and he like, was going to seal that deal, baby. <laughs> And he was so, he was such a bad evangelist. Jesus was terrible at evangelism. If that's his metric, you know, he wins the crowds, then he loses them. Like, 
That's right. That, that back Jesus. door is just Jesus. Um, flapping open in the wind. <laughs> un, un, unless we see caring for people's needs as mm-hmm. part of God's work, unless we see love as an effective force that does something in a person's life, yeah. that, that one day you stand before your maker, whether you believed in him moments before or not, and you say, ah, oh, this has felt familiar. I have mm-hmm. this, what is greeting me now in front of my f- non-corporeal corporeal face is, is something that once was shown to me by my mother, mm-hmm. by my brother, by a stranger, by some guy in a park. Um, yeah. Or, or it's foreign. Um, yeah. yeah it's, it's such a broader, a broader perspective on, on, on mission. I love that. And I don't want anyone listening to this to think that this is um, some sort of cheap universalism. That's not what we're talking about. Everything goes back in the box. Like, because human life matters and our decisions matter. And what we did with this life and how we stewarded it truly matters in, in sense of where all of human history is going. Um, not just our own, you know, souls and, and resurrected bodies, you know, not only our own existence, but but the existence of the creation that God longs to, you know, Romans 8, that, that he longs to birth the new creation out of. But it's it we have to surrender our sense that we know what that is, like that that we are the judges. We are not that creation and all created humans and objects are going to stand before holiness, which will be terrifying and will also be good. And if we can see that the holiness is both good and terrifying, and like you said, recognize it, taste it. You know, my neighbor taught me, or no, not taught, taught is pedantic. Um, my neighbor gave me a foretaste of grace, of unconditional love, of forgiveness. Um, yeah, my mother, my friend, uh, if only they could see the church constantly talking about a forgiveness that seems foolish, so that when they see God's extended forgiveness that is foolish, they see it as good news. Like, oh, mm-hmm. if only. But that is... That is not to say that this is a cheap universalism, but it is to say we have to surrender the outcomes of how eternity works and what it looks like so that we can be faithful in losing our life to find it so that we can be like Jesus who wants people to be recruited. You know, he sees the rich man walk away like your language here and he has, he has compassion on the crowds. He, he has pity on the rich man. He thinks, man, it's not because like, oh, he's going to burn in hell forever and look at him just go. He's saying, if you cling to your wealth, that's going to take you all the way to hell. In this life, and, and who knows in the next, how that destroys the human heart to have that much wealth. And gosh, you were so close to freedom. You were so close to a better life, to mm. a life where you get to give it all away. And you have life now and in the age to come. And all you bless, you'll never be homeless in this or the age to come because you've given it all away. You'll be greeted by millions of people in their homes. And yet you're clinging and you're afraid and I want it better for you. Yes. You know, you see Jesus... Um, you see Jesus with the man who heal, he heals from leprosy. And the guy's like, please let me be your disciple. And he's like, no. You know, he says to him, go back to your own people. Go back. And, and like, you can do a deep dive on why that is. But but maybe Jesus doesn't want everyone to, to get in the boat and go around with him. He says, go back and just bear witness to what you've learned. And, mm-hmm. and God's spirit is going to be there in a strange way. And it's going to be, you know, they send off the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts without catechism. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, without, without, a, without a, a, a study guide and just this sense that God has got this chill. And, and you know, we know from church tradition, or know from church tradition in air quotes, but, you know, this is the founder of the, the Ethiopian church. Um, the spirit is a better missionary than us. The spirit, oh, look at me, I'm getting all charismatic with you. I'm trying to step into the charismatic more and more. So I'm really enjoying talking with people for whom this is their mother tongue um, and their, their heartbeat. But the spirit is such a good pastor, such a good Christian, such a good missionary, such a good neighbor and parent. So just stop trying so hard. Relax a little. Like this is good news for a reason. Um, and there's something about once you enter that posture, uh, I, I forget who said this, but the, you know, faith is like, it feels like relaxing. That's, mm-hmm. that's faith. And it's not laziness. It's not cheap universalism. It's letting God be God so that I can just be, little old fallible me participating with God's goodness. And that's life-giving. Yes. That, that story of the Ethiopian eunuch hit me in a whole new way. When I, 
was served Ethiopian coffee mm-hmm. by my son's friend's family who escaped from Eritrea, which broke away from Ethiopia. And they are faithful members of the Ethiopian church, you know, that has existed for 2000 years. Uh, and oh, it was just rich getting. That's so ugh. powerful to hear. I've never thought about, we have an Eritrean family, a refugee family that's a part of our community. And, uh, who are just, you know, the most incredible people. And yeah, I've never even thought. You realize, one of the things I love about about the church is that you're tied into history in this weird way, Mm. where I'm not just some individual who met some individual from Eritrea. I am part of the movement that Philip was was helping birth. You know, the God birthed by the Spirit, but Philip just showed up and and did his part. Um, And then the the, (laughs) And then poof, he's gone, <laughs> like raptured <laughs> off. And that Ethiopian eunuch goes off. And, you know, for, for almost 2,000 years, um, those streams have grown in different directions and they've collided over and over. And we, and you with your, your son and, and, and his friends, family, you know, we are now experiencing the tying together of these cords of history mm-hmm. that God is, is weaving these things back together. And we just get a slice of it. And man, without the church, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to be an individual person just trying to do an individual life. I, I want to be a part of that magic. I want to be a part of that, that story, you know, and, and I'm okay with my humble little chapter in it. Not even chapter. I get a sentence, maybe, maybe three words. Maybe our community gets one sentence, but like better to be one sentence in God's story than to, to speak and yell a whole story of my own into the clouds, into the abyss and have it fade away as soon as I'm dead. You know, there's <laughs> something about... Yeah. There's something about finding your place in this story that is so much bigger. And that, that is so liberating to then say, you know, I'm sitting with, with my son, I'm getting tea served to me. And right now we're participating in eternity and we're mm-hmm. participating in, in the grand unveiling of the greatest story of all time. Yes. Amen. Oh, Dude. That's so good, man. Come on. Would you pray for us? Yes. I'd love to pray. Let me pray. Spirit, thank you for being with us across time and space um, over Zoom calls that the air um, I breathe, the air that Jonathan is breathing, and the air that everyone who is listening to this in their cars, on their runs, making dinner, um, in the midst of all of our stress and uncertainty and anxieties and fears and doubts and hopes and dreams and uh, everything that has just been happening in our lives in this season, that when we breathe them together, we are breathing in the same spirit, the same uh, pneuma, the same ruah, the same air. And you are as present with the listener of this podcast as you are with Jonathan, as you are with myself in this time. Thank you for this conversation that has reminded me um, that this is your good work, that we get to swim in, that we get to participate in, but that the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Would you help us right now to breathe and to relax our shoulders? to relax our guts, to feel like we are um, expanding and relaxing into your presence and that you have got this. There is nothing to be afraid of. That You are good, a good father, to quote the, the heart language of uh, my brothers and sisters and siblings in, in CTF and other expressions. You are a good, good father, a good, good mother, a good parent who only gives us good things. And that even now you have something good to give us. If we can relax and open our hands to have you take out what we were never meant to carry and to put into our hands what was always the gift for us to hold. So help us to receive, to give over, and to relax into your presence in this time. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, go, guys, go and order his book. It actually came out just a couple of days ago. It came out this week, uh, June 16th, I think it dropped. So go get that. It's available on Amazon. You'll find it linked in the show notes. You'll find it on my Amazon store, amazon.com slash shop slash Jonathan Puddle uh, or .ca, .co.uk. Uh, also, Kevin's got a, a pretty bustling YouTube channel. He's got lots of stuff there. I uh, highly recommend it. You'll find him as well at kevinmakins.com. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, it's all there and it's all linked in the show notes. 
Friends, this uh, may be my last episode for the summer. I'm not too sure what's going to happen next week. Uh, if there's nothing next week, uh, I'll just put out a little, hey, see ya in a little bit. But I am just about to take a, a little staycation. I can feel uh, my creative juices are very, very low. The last few weeks of getting the podcast out have felt like blood from a stone, shall we say. Uh, and so I'm needing to take some time and recoup, replenish. Uh, and then I'm excited to get back into things with you guys in the uh, later in the summer. I've got this uh, book coming out, You Are Enough, Learning to Love Yourself the Way God Loves You. It's very, very exciting. Uh, if you do want to sign up for, for news on that, if you don't want to miss anything, just go to jonathanpuddle.com slash D-E-V-O, Devo, and uh, you'll jump on the email list there. But yep, that's coming out very soon. God bless you all. Grace and peace. I know that this continues to be a very difficult time. Uh, my heart is with you. My prayers are for you. Thank you so much for being here. Grace and peace.